How do you mine for the gold in your compliance program to demonstrate ROI to increase your compliance budget? In this special five-part podcast series with Nick and Gio Gallo from Compliance Line, I explore this topic. We take a look at what is ROI, how to calculate it, and more importantly, how to present that information to CFOs and senior management to increase your compliance budgeting. Now, a quick word from Nick Gallo about Compliance Line. For over 25 years, Compliance Line has provided a suite of corporate integrity products that help you manage risk and reinforce your healthy culture. From case management and COI software that really saves time, issue intake and e-learning focused on the human element, and sanction monitoring that actually works, we are committed to making the world a better workplace for everyone. We're currently offering a limited number of free ROI sessions that'll help you make the business case for more budget so your program can be more effective. These custom sessions will give you the right talk tracks and confidence to get the money you need to elevate. Reach out to us at complianceline.com today to schedule your free custom ROI session. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to episode one of our five-part series with the brothers Gallo, Nick, and Gio, who run Compliance Line. So, gents, I've been wanting to do this with you guys for quite some time. So, a huge welcome, and thanks for taking the time to do this with me. Glad to be here, Tom. Thanks for having us. We're real excited to dig into this topic, and I think it'll be fun. So, in our first episode, we're going to look at some ROI issues as they relate to the compliance space. So, Gio, if I can maybe start with you. What do you see as some general issues around ROI on purchase decisions in the compliance space? Yeah. So, you know, the thing that's interesting about this is often it's so ubiquitous that people kind of lose sight of how important it is, right? We all know that people care about making a case for ROI and we all know that we need to be able to justify our spending. But I think if it stops there as compliance leaders, we might be literally leaving some money on the table because there's a lot more to this game than meets the eye. And one thing that I think is important to just have as a baseline is this understanding that somebody who you're talking to views this thing that is, it's so important to you, it's your domain, it's what you care about, that's your team or your program, your own budget, the risk that you manage for the whole organization. Someone is viewing this in the context of that entire organization. And when we look at it from our own side, I think there's some potential to say, hey, it's my money or it's not. Well, the person on the other side of it is saying, hey, you know what? It's all of our money. This is coming from the bank account of the entire company, and it could be deployed here or there or there. And they're trying to optimize that spend across the entire organization. And I think that as you understand that, and as we kind of get into that frame of mind, you understand that there's maybe a challenge and a benefit. You know, the challenge is it's hard to understand what they might be fielding from the IT team and what they might be request they might be fielding from the marketing team or whatever it might be. That might be the challenge. But when you look at this concept that you're competing for dollars or you can benefit by being aligned with other initiatives, this can become an opportunity, right? You can see that marketing wants some money for something as, hey, they're kind of taking money from our pocket. The more they get from the pot, the less is available to them. I think that's maybe the baseline, Tom, is that people think of it as the zero-sum game. But as we go through the series, we're going to be talking about the mindset of someone in finance that might be just someone who studies finance and is in capital markets or somebody in the finance department. And a lot of that game is about breaking this zero-sum mindset and looking at this as an expandable pie. And that means that it's not just kind of going to marketing or going to compliance, it's going to the company. And if those dollars can be spent in the best way, then it makes it better for everybody. So 
one thing that as we, Nick and I do some coaching, just kind of pro bono for people in the compliance industry to help them get a better view of this ROI conversation. One thing that we try to start with is this is not a zero sum game. If you can understand that being aligned with other departments, having some positive externalities that help someone else get their job done or take some work off of someone else's plate. These are all things that you can align with this full company view and say, hey, you know what? We're not competing for dollars. We're all trying to serve the company's mission. And if you can understand that context, I think it can help you a lot. And I think that kind of broadening our mindset like that so that we're not just thinking about risk in a full company viewpoint, but we're also thinking about our budget as part of the whole. Nick, as you guys know, one of the reasons I enjoy visiting with the both of you is you come from such a different professional background. Both have uh, finance, accounting, academic backgrounds, but professionally, you came from private equity. As you know, I'm a lawyer, went to law school. We never talked about money except how much are you going to pay me to settle this lawsuit? And you really have a different mindset. So, Nick, maybe ask you, when you sit down with someone like myself who may have a different academic training and professional background than you, how do you suggest that a lawyer who's a CCO type might start to think about making the ROI case and really in the context of what Geo said, moving forward to disparate areas of the corporation and different functions that you might be able to incorporate really all of the compliance messages that you have to get out. So I love that question, Tom, because I think it kind of gets to the heart of maybe or the root of what some of the mental blocks are. You know, I mean, it really is a mentality thing. And we see a lot of folks who run their ethics and compliance department like they're running a nonprofit, which is really all about minimizing spending or really spending all of your budget. That in and of itself is a fixed mentality as opposed to like an abundance or growth mentality that Gio kind of alluded to before. So the same refrain kind of keeps coming over and over again, like someone's dad was an accountant, but they went into law because they didn't like numbers. Now they find themselves in compliance and that's still sort of aversion to numbers and investing and all those other things that were in those classes that they didn't really resonate with them are now something that they have to wield like a sword that's too heavy for them. So what I would tell you is you just have to put on a different hat and there's a different set of frameworks that you can apply to this game that are going to be maybe fundamentally different than the binary sort of risk aversion frameworks that you'll apply to managing an ethics and compliance department or building an FCPA policy or something like that. And to Gio's point, we function in a world of unknowns, as we all know. And at the end of the day, it's about, you know, in the investing game in particular, it's about saying, okay, well, I know I'm going to have to take risks, but let's try to make these calculated risks and let's try to boil down what the expected value of these things are. In order to get an expected value, there's a bunch of unknowns that you need to make assumptions about. Remember that the investing game is really just bunch of addition and multiplication. It's not this crazy alchemy. It's not a whole new thing to learn. And if you can kind of break it down to those simple parts and recognize that, listen, if you can apply some you know, basic logic, some assumptions that are going to be cohesive and like palatable, well, you can build a case that no one's going to expect your vision of the future to be actually accurate. But if you can make some good assumptions about how this thing might look, then you can make the case again for those dollars that you need. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about kind of our fixed mentality, looking at risk elimination. Fine, you can make that case very easily with a really high confidence interval. But I would tell people to get comfortable with slightly lower confidence intervals around additional claims of the future for additional impacts of your program, right? There's a bunch of impacts that a good compliance program is going to have that you can't point to directly. 
these are going to be impacts that are going to change people's mindset or change people's view of a particular risk, or you spend some money on some training and that's going to curtail some manifestation of some risk. You can start to take credit for those things if you can do that in a credible way. And we can talk about that a little bit more, but I think that's really what it's about. It's about kind of compressing the confidence interval that we require to make a claim about the future. If I could boil it all down to one statement. So let me see if my lawyer mind can wrap my head around this. First of all, I love arithmetic, not calculus. I can understand arithmetic. But it seems to me, Nick, that you have suggested that the basic tools of a best practices compliance program, and let me just pick the hotline and expand out on that because I know you guys are subject matter experts in that. From a hotline, a whistleblower culture to a culture of listening and a culture of speak up. It seems to me that using the same analysis you just laid out, you could start to make the case that with a mandatory requirement, which is a hotline under Sarbanes-Oxley all the way through Dodd-Frank and today, you could begin to show and begin to build a picture that you could take to senior management or a board. These are the types of benefits and these are the types of ROI. Would that be a fair assessment or is my lawyer brain off the mark? No, that's exactly right. That's the exact arithmetic that we want to utilize. And to your point, it's not calculus. What comes along with this panacea that we know we're influencing indirectly? What comes along with it? Well, if you have a strong culture that people are engaged with, that their purpose is resonant with the organizational purpose, well, what happens? These people expend more discretionary effort, right? All that falls directly to the bottom line. If you love your work and you feel like your voice matters, and you've worked other places where your voice doesn't matter, then you're going to feel a particular allegiance to that organization. You're going to appreciate that. And so your turnover is going to drop a little bit. Well, that's going to directly drop to the bottom line. Taking credit for minuscule amounts of that in a credible way, again, part of this is a persuasion path, but pointing to those outcomes based on these inputs, which are a hotline or an improved case management system or whatever, Those are, in my mind, extremely credible, especially when you can start to bring the finance people or whoever's controlling those purse strings into that calculation. And that's what the basis of a lot of our ROI coaching has been, not only getting those assumptions dialed in, but also building the persuasion path around the delivery of that message so that it lands in a way that is resonant with the person who who you want to loosen those purse strings up. Gio, if I could turn to you and ask you, If you are a board member, if you are a senior executive, or say you're a private equity company with a number of portfolio companies, and someone like me comes to you with uh, this type of argument, what would you find as in an oversight role as persuasive? Do you want pictures? Do you want data? Do you want a story? Do you want one story and then perhaps backup data that you could drill down to if you chose to, how would you see a senior executive in a private equity or a public company really analyzing that with appropriate level of skepticism? Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up, Tom, because that skepticism is, I think that's kind of what we pick up first, right? That's what maybe we're worried about. We're going to pitch this thing and they're going to say, yeah, right. You don't need that much or whatever. That's a flavor of it, but that's not the whole dish. Because I think that to your question, I think that what a senior person reviewing this budget, you know, on a board, you know, an investor, maybe even if you're in the public markets, what the analysts are going to look at, I think they want two things. They want clarity and engagement. 
And that can happen a bunch of different ways. There's clarity around, hey, here's how the formula works. Here are different components of my case. Here's how much of this I can prove with data. But I think a lot of us stop there and we say, well, I can't prove with 95% confidence how much turnover is going to drop. So I should leave that out of my ROI calculation. Or, you know what, I'm not exactly sure how much our our incidence of discrimination claims is going to fall over the next year based on this training. So I'm going to leave that out because I don't have total clarity on it. I think as compliance leaders, we're great at communicating the clarity that we have and standing on that. And we're actually also very good at dealing with the gray areas within our domain of risk management. We know, hey, you know what, this is going to move the needle. We know that, hey, following this best practice from a risk management standpoint is going to help me see the risks, respond to them, and hopefully rectify the causes of those faster. What we like to encourage people to do is don't just stop at the clarity. There's some amount of your ROI case that you can build with a bunch of certainty and a bunch of clarity. There's a bunch more to stack on top of that that is an issue of engagement. And what I mean by that is lay it out, lay out your assumptions and say, hey, industry standard is this. Hey, some other people saw this when they got there. And you can tell it with a story, right? You can say, I think that we have a chance driven by this compliance effort to decrease our turnover rate by one and a half in the next year. And then as a follow-up to that, to your point, Tom, you can show a picture of that and you can say, here are the steps of how it's going to happen. Here's a flow chart of people feel better. They know they're heard. They're less disappointed by this. They feel like we're better than other companies and they're more engaged, right? You can show with a flow chart. You can show with a story. I have a friend that I met at a conference and she was telling me that they did this and they saw it drop 4%. So I'm assuming we could do about a third of that, right? You can do it with a story and tell it that way. You can tell it with some data and say, hey, here's what best practices in compliance are and people hit this benchmark. So we should be able to close the gap on that. There are a bunch of different ways to communicate that. And I kind of put that, how do you communicate it into a different conversation around who are the people you're communicating with, right? Are they very analytical? Are they very passionate and they want a story? Are they very high level? You can communicate it a bunch of different ways. But the big thing that I like to push on is don't just stop at the clarity, get some engagement on your assumptions. Because if you show, hey, here are four other ways outside of the very clear 95% stuff that we're confident in, here are four other ways we can get ROI and you show your assumptions for those, then whoever's reviewing it can say, hey, you know what? Number one, I'm going to discount completely. They may not say it explicitly, but they say, hey, you know what? I'm not counting on that. But number two and three, I think you're close on those. You know what? I like that approach. Let's measure that over a quarter and see if it works or whatever. And maybe number four, they say, hey, that's icing on the cake, but I'm going to approve the spend based on engaging in issues number two and three. And I think as you have that conversation, it does two really exciting things. One is that it may unlock some budget that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise, right? You might ask for an increase of $50,000 for your e-learning budget next year because you take this kind of clarity plus engagement approach, and you may only get 40 of it, but if you only stopped at the clarity, you would have gotten 20, right? You may get some more budget because of it. But then the real magic happens in a series of interactions when you keep coming to this executive level, you keep coming to the strategic level with the strategic thinking, with the integrated perspective of, hey, we could help with a bunch of these other things, not just reducing fines, but helping the whole organization. Then it starts to unlock a different type of interaction with this team of decision makers where they say, hey, you know what? This compliance leader, they really got something. You know what? They think in the right way. I don't have to explain to them that we're playing chess here, not just checkers. They're helping inform the things that I'm doing and giving me fuel to enter my next conversation with something that's compelling. 
And having that kind of higher level, it is more uncertainty. It probably feels like a stretch sometimes, but just opening up that conversation that way can not only get more budget, but also get you more of that seat at the table and get more esteem from these kind of power circles that, quite frankly, they hold kind of the keys to our destiny to allow us to build the program we need. Gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us in our next episode where we discuss extending value across the organization. Gents, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. Same here. Thanks, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. We've linked to Compliance Line in the show notes, so check them out. And also check out their free offer to help you use the ROI of your compliance program to increase your compliance program budgeting. I hope you'll join us tomorrow for our next episode where we take up extending value across an organization. This podcast series, Gold in the Compliance Hills, is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network.